Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sample Size, the only news podcast that cares about science. I'm your host, Samantha Spears. And I'm your other host, Wildcard Cameron. And we are traveling, so if the audio sounds a little different, that's why. We were bringing you important (laughs) news from the front lines of the world. This is a terrible, I don't The way you say that makes it sound like it's not important. It is important. It's the only news that cares about science. It has to be important. It has to be important. (laughs) Happy holidays, everyone. This is probably going to come out in holiday times. And (laughs) a quick thank you to everyone who's been supporting the podcast and being awesome and subscribing. And if you haven't subscribed and you're listening, please consider subscribing because we appreciate it. And I just need to get all these pleasantries out of the way. Because as I understand it, this is going to be another fun bummer of an episode about coronavirus. All right. I would say it's entirely a bummer. Okay. What would you describe it as? I would describe this as some not as well-known stories related to the coronavirus pandemic. So I have a roundup of some news stories. And these are stories that didn't get as much news coverage as I feel like they should have. Or maybe you're just not as well known, but I feel like they're still important to talk about. So I am bringing those to you today. Yes, this is, as I understand it, the silver lining of the corona where you go and you look at the silver lining (laughs) and you peel it back. And what you realize is behind the silver lining, it was actually aluminum foil hiding more coronavirus. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. So do you want to give us a quick rundown of the stories we're going to be talking about? Or are we just going to dive into this and just lose our minds? You know, let's just dive in. I want a little bit of a surprise. Let's kick it. All right. So this first story has to do with minks. Minks. Like the thing you make like scarves out of if you're an animal hater? Yes. <laughs> like Yes, the animal. Yes. A mink coat. I'm getting it now. Okay. I wasn't sure. Maybe you meant like a minx, like a mischievous little minx. All right. Clearly, this is my fault for trying to be all coy and stuff. Why do I ever try to do anything? Okay. This is about Denmark culling minx. Here we go. Culling? Yes. Culling. Oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) It's not going to be that bad. (laughs) Whoops. All right. Let's go. What's What happened to these poor minx? What happened? The government of Denmark ordered all minks to be culled on November 4th after the State Serum Institute which is Denmark's public health and infectious disease agency, found immune strain of COVID-19 on five farms that infected 12 people. So let me see if I understand this. First of all, that thing you just said is like their CDC. Yeah, pretty much. And second, if I'm understanding this right, the minks didn't just get coronavirus. They then gave coronavirus to humans again. Like it went from human to mink to human. Yes, you are correct. And so far, 214 cases in Denmark have been linked to minks, but only 12 people had the mutated strain. So it's not only that coronavirus is being passed from minks to humans. Now in Denmark, they found a mutated strain of coronavirus is being passed from minks to humans. And why would I be annoyed slash upset slash worried about a mutated strain of coronavirus? Cameron said, knowing full well we talked about this like six episodes ago. (laughs) Well, let me tell you a little bit more information about this new strain. It is called Cluster 5. It is less sensitive to an attack from COVID-19 antibodies. So scientists fear it would be less effective against a COVID vaccine. It does not appear to cause a more severe illness nor be more infectious. And in this new strain, some of the spike proteins that cover the virus are a different shape, meaning the antibodies are less able to bind to it and stop an infection. 
However, authorities have no proof the strain is any more contagious or deadly, insisting there is no reason to worry and mutations happen all the time and are usually harmless. So two things. First of all, yeah, if you don't stop a disease from getting out, it will mutate and then this will happen. Second, if I may explain why the mutation is such a concern. Up until now, we've been fighting a coronavirus, one specific brand of coronavirus. Mm -hmm. We're chasing it through the alleyways. We're chasing it down the street. We're trying to catch it and throw it in a disease jail. All right. But now this version of the virus has put on one of those disguise glasses with the big nose and the mustache. And as a result, we're having a harder time finding it. Now, jokes aside, what this literally means is because it's mutated, it's the same coronavirus. It's exactly the same in terms of how infectious it is. It has the same symptoms. But the problem is the machinery in your body that would recognize not just the virus but also a vaccine isn't wired for this vaccine. So even though if you got inoculated for the current global pandemic coronavirus, this one can still get out. It could still be a parallel virus that you would need a separate whole set of things to fight alongside with the first one. Yeah, just to elaborate When it comes to mutations and viruses on this particular one, think of it as this is still the COVID-19 virus, but it is slightly different than the one that is infecting a lot of the world at the moment. And that slight difference can matter when it comes to your immune system because your immune system, it picks on these very minute patterns in order to recognize things as foreign or things that need to be destroyed. Yeah, that's the mutation of the spike proteins is literally what your body is using to identify this coronavirus. And because they're different, it's like, oh, this is different. Now, something I want to emphasize in this case when it comes to this story is that this new mutation, as I said, it's only been linked to 12 people being infected by it. And as far as they know, that's where that is stopped. Actually, this is kind of where we get into the culling part of the story. So I mentioned how this is all about culling minks, right? Yeah. The Denmark government decided to cull all these minks because they want to stop this new strain of coronavirus from spreading any more that it has. And I want to again emphasize it hasn't really spread at all. Yeah, it was 12 people. They were able to be contained because Denmark has been doing an excellent job of tracking and making sure they understand where the cases are and what's going on. So It doesn't seem like it's that big of a problem, but this is a clear warning sign that the coronavirus can jump to other species and back and it can still mutate and become an ongoing infectious disease like our normal annual flu. Mm -hmm. I also want to point out that the World Health Organization is investigating the cases related to mink fur industry to see if this is something that we should be worried about or if this is something that's ever going to pop up in other countries because – Denmark's not alone in having a mink fur trade industry. There's actually been five other countries that have reported COVID cases linked to mink farms. Fortunately, none of those other incidents had a mutated strain of coronavirus. All right. Anything else we need to know about minks? Yes, actually. I want to just give a little more info of the Denmark government when it came to this. The government did get into some internal trouble over this decision to cold minks. About a week after announcing the calling, they had to halt things because they got backlash that they didn't get legislative approval before giving the order. So in response to that, the government then proposed legislation in parliament that would pretty much ban mink farming until December 2021 and then would allow all of the minks to be killed. And that still sounds like it's going to be troublesome for the poor farmers who actually rely on that income. Yes, troublesome for the farmers. And also, 
Since Denmark had to kill all of these minks so quickly, they couldn't incinerate the bodies. They instead buried them in shallow graves. And some of the bodies have actually started rising due to air being trapped in them. And there are some concerns over if any of them contaminated the local groundwater there. So it's kind of a mess. This is really gross. We should go on to another story now. Yes. Because this is gross. Yes. And let's... I don't like this anymore. All right. Yes. I didn't like it when we started. <laughs> yes. Let's transition away from this story and get on to some other ones. The rest of the episode is actually going to be about different journal articles and reports that have come out about the coronavirus. So now we're just going to be talking all about research. All right, kick it. All right. This first one is about a CDC report that was released recently about stay-at-home measures working. So the CDC published a report in mid-November saying that COVID-19 transmissions, hospitalizations, and mortality declined in Delaware from March to June 2020 after implementing mitigation measures. I thought only corporations lived in Delaware. <laughs> no, there are some people there, too. Corporations are people. Mm, yes. Uh, you know it's sidestepping that. And the report says that the state-mandated stay-at-home orders and public mask mandates along with contact tracing, contributed to an 82% reduction in COVID-19 cases, 88% reduction in hospitalizations, and 100% reduction in mortality in Delaware during late April to June. So it concludes that state-mandated community efforts and public health interventions can reduce new COVID cases, hospitalizations, and deaths. So not being around sick people will keep you from getting sick is what I hear. Yes, it's something that we all knew, but it's nice to have confirmation of it and to actually have the data backing this claim up. Oh, right. That's that's still pretty good to hear just because now you can actually show it to people. This will be a fun thing to tell your family about during the holidays. <laughs> I'm sure they'll really enjoy this conversation. All right. Some other important things about the report I wanted to mention. So Delaware issued a stay-at-home order the week of April 13th. But the decline in cases did not occur until weeks after the measure was in place. So this is, again, just to emphasize that when you have these public health measures that get implemented, you're not really going to see the effects of it until weeks later because people would have already been exposed and infected with the virus. There's always going to be that transmission lag. And also COVID's just that problematic disease that has a really long infection period, mm -hmm. which means that we just it's just going to take a while. Yeah. Another steep decline in cases actually occurred after a public mask use mandate that was in late April. So the report emphasizes that masks are critical for reducing transmission between persons because they prevent respiratory droplets containing the virus from traveling in the air. So again, this report from the CDC is saying masks are good and they work. And that's when you wear them over your nose and your mouth. I'm talking to literally everyone I saw at the grocery store who was not doing that. You know who you are. You know the grocery store I go to. <laughs> All right. So big takeaway from this report is that it is evidence that stay-at-home orders, along with other public health measures like mask wearing and contact tracing, are effective at reducing the spread of COVID-19. It's basically saying that these public health measures that are being put in place that you know, we're probably really frustrated with right now and tired of having, well, they are doing a good thing. So let's keep those up. Nice. Is there anything else we should know from this report? No, we can move on to the next one. This next one has to do with temperature checks. 
and detecting COVID-19 from that. So this is because it typically presents with a fever, right? Yes. So as most of you probably know, a lot of businesses have been screening their employees for COVID-19 by taking their temperature daily, like as they enter the building, to try and catch people who may have coronavirus and send them home. I know mine has. (laughs) Right. Well, there's been a study recently that has actually shown that may not be as effective as we think. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. So let me dive into that. In mid-November, the Associated Press wrote an article titled, Study, Temperature Checks, Symptom Screenings, Not Very Effective in Detecting COVID-19 Infections. So I'm going to go a little bit about this article, and then we're going to actually jump into the actual study article that I read over. If if I might just say, what a pragmatic title. (laughs) Pragmatic? Yes. Utilitarian? Blunt? Kurt? Kurt. Kurt. (laughs) What a Kurt Russell title. So let me read you the beginning of this news article. Temperature and COVID-19 symptom checks like the ones used at schools and doctor's offices have again proved inadequate for spotting coronavirus infections and preventing outbreaks. A study of Marine recruits found that despite these measures and strict quarantines before they started training, the recruits spread the virus to others, even though hardly any of them had symptoms. None of the infections were caught through symptom screening. It then goes on to give a quick overview of the study and gives this quote from an expert that was not involved in the study. Quote, we spent a lot of time putting measures like that in place, and they're probably not worth the time as we had hoped. Routine testing seems to be better in this age group because younger adults often have no symptoms. So as I mentioned, because I'm the science and stats nerd that I am, I went and found the actual article that was referenced in the story. So I thought we could go over what the actual article says versus kind of just this new story that paints a pretty bleak picture on temperature checks. Yeah, I think we're going to get into my favorite area, which is the complete disconnect between what a science article or journal or whatever says and what a science news story reports. (laughs) Yes. And first off, I want to say the Associated Press story was not actually that bad of a summary of this study. It was a little short, but it got the point across. The main thing is probably the title's a bit misleading. All right. So, yeah, tell me how it's misleading. Show me what the sample size was of the original (laughs) study and what the results were. (laughs) Okay, let's dive in. The study called the COVID-19 Health Action Response for Marine Study, or CHARM study. I hate it. I hate acronyms. (laughs) I hate it. Well, the CHARM study investigated COVID-19 infections among almost 2,000 marine recruits. The marine recruits were told to quarantine at home for two weeks before arriving at a closed college campus where they underwent a strict supervised quarantine with the other marine recruits, the whole time wearing masks and practicing social distancing measures. Then after this two-week period, if they had a negative PCR test for the virus, then they were allowed to go to Paris Island to start basic training. So all the marine recruits had this test. But those who participated in the CHARM study were also tested once they arrived at the campus and at day seven. So they had two extra tests in addition to the day 14 test. Awesome. The NBA approach. I can't wait to find out the one that went to a strip club and then got everyone else exposed. (laughs) Well, actually, no, because they were on strict lockdown for that two week period. So that wouldn't have happened. Mm. All right. Let me keep going to ease the skepticism of yours. So of the around 2,000 recruits that were in the study, 
51 tested positive during the study, only five of which had symptoms in the week before the test. Also important, the Marine officers monitored the recruit symptoms daily, doing things like temperature checks, and ordered PCR tests if anyone had symptoms. However, zero infections were discovered as a result of this daily symptom monitoring. So here are actually the big takeaways people should take from this study. The researchers found that transmission occurred through multiple local events, like among roommates or recruits within the same platoon. So it was really a lot of local transmission going on, like people having COVID-19 before they got to the base and then them infecting their roommates or people they were hanging out with often at the base. The study also recommends scheduled testing as opposed to testing from symptom monitoring. So like instead of testing people based on their symptoms, testing people on a regular interval, like on a weekly basis. But I also want to emphasize this is around a group of young Marines. The main point of the study is that in young people who often will get infected with coronavirus but not actually prevent symptoms, symptom checking isn't going to work to stop the spread. Which, when I phrase it that way, that's pretty intuitive, right? Yeah, it makes 100% more sense and is much clearer than whatever the heck the title was. <laughs> All right. So in conclusion, do not completely write off temperature checks as a way for screening for people for coronavirus. But corporations should also think of testing people on a regular schedule. Yes, I think we can all agree that the more we do, the better off we'll be. All right. Are you ready for my last story? There's only one left? There's only one left. Let's do it. Okay. Also, for anyone who might be hearing random pops or noises on our audio up until this point, our cat has been menacing us and she refuses <laughs> to make a cute cat noise. <laughs> so you can't even believe it. Yes. Fancy, stop eating all the cords. There, there will be corresponding images on the Instagrams and Twitters. <laughs> yes, our cat has been attacking my arm through that entire last segment. So <laughs> just be proud of me for delivering that entire thing like straight faced. This last story, I, I know you're going to enjoy this. This Everyone's going to get a kick out of this. I doubt it. Let's go. No, I promise. All right. It's also not something I found from a news site, but actually something one of my public health PhD friends sent me. And it has to do with predatory journals. Hold on. PhD friends? Should I be worried? You're going to replace me as the co-host? <laughs> Who are the other friends? All right. So predatory journals? This sounds worse than predatory lending. <laughs> Predatory journals are fake academic journals that publish academic papers with no oversight or peer review. They often trick scholars into publishing with them, especially new scholars or ones from developing countries, and then make those scholars pay high publishing fees after their papers get accepted. What the heck? So the entire point is just to make them pay to have their journal published? Yes, it is a system of having academics pay you a lot of money to publish their paper because publishing papers when it comes to academia is very important. That's usually what you base kind of your career on. That's a basis for you getting jobs, you getting professor, you getting associate professor, et cetera, et cetera. And predatory journals know this. So they're going to really market themselves of, hey, you can get your paper published, but it's really just like fake. It's just a fake industry of scamming people into paying high fees in order to get their journals published with them. That's straight up BS. So what does that have to do with coronavirus? Well, predatory journals have not stopped despite a pandemic happening. And one researcher, Dr. Matan Shalomi, 
an assistant professor of entomology at the National Taiwan University, likes to expose these journals by getting fake papers published. Amazing. I can't. Is this going to be one of those chocolate bar ones? Yeah. Let me read you the title of this paper, and I want I want to see if you notice anything. Silage City COVID-19 Outbreak Linked to Zubat Consumption. Okay. I noticed something, but it can't possibly have been the excellence I think it was. Was there a Pokemon reference, a Gen 1 Pokemon reference (laughs) baked into my article title? Yes. Yes, there was. My least favorite Pokemon to find in caves is now in a study. (laughs) I'm so excited. In other news, Mad Milk Tank disease still on the rise. So this paper was published on March 18th in the American Journal of Biomedical Science and Research. And as you may have guessed, the paper claimed that eating a bat-like Pokemon sparked the spread of COVID-19. This does not spark joy. I mean, it sparked joy for me, but it does not spark joy that an article like this could have actually been published in a pay-for-play. This is like the Star Wars Battlefront 2 of medical journals. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's even more good things Dr. Shalomi included in this obviously fake paper. Let me just read you a list of them. Fake references, like one from author Bruce Wayne in Gotham Forensic Quarterly on using bats to fight crime. Listing Pokemon's Nurse Joy and House MD as authors. Wait, House MD is a doctor, though. (laughs) But a fake doctor. Wait, you're not allowed to lie about being a doctor. And including lines such as, A journal publishing this paper does not practice peer review and must therefore be predatory. Or... This invited article is in a predatory journal that likely does not practice peer review. I like the idea of the journal actively publishing a bunch of, like the onion of journals. <laughs> kind of. Like they yeah. unintentionally become the onion of journals and then eventually stop getting paid to do stuff. And, and then just, just stop. become their own stupid thing. Yes. And the paper has since been removed from the journal because Dr. Shalomi refused to pay the publishing fees. So they took down the journal article. That's so weird. So like they published the journal and then they like, we'll break your kneecaps if you don't pay us <laughs> to keep it up. Yeah. So a lot of times journals will actually publish something before it goes through its like before it kind of finishes the process. It's a weird thing where it's like something has finished a review in like actual real journals. Something has finished a review process, but it hasn't actually been like published in the quarterly, you know, journal schedule of when papers get published. So they'll like make it available for early access on the Internet, something to that effect. This is kind of a similar thing that happened here, except they made it available on the Internet, but he hadn't paid the fees yet. And so he did not want to pay the fees and it got removed. Hold on. This is amazing to think about because this man, this man who professionally writes papers for his actual living, decided to, on a whim, create creative writing essays effectively where he had to perfectly format a fake journal article that had to be realistic enough that they would accept the format but not so realistic in that anyone would actually believe it was legitimate and he did this multiple times just to goof on this one or i assume multiple but probably just this one journal multiple journals really And there are, I just want to say this, there are a lot of predatory journals out there. I'm going to include a link in the show notes to a list of of most of them. There is a lot of them. And if you're listening to this and you see any of those journals and they are talking to you or bothering you, maybe call them out. Also, from one prankster to another, I commit Dr. Shalomi's work. (laughs) Yes, I hope what everyone takes away from this story is really to be vigilant about predatory journals and articles from them that are possibly not credible. 
And listeners, if you have a science-related journal article or a news story about one that you're unsure about or don't really understand, send it over to us and we'll take a look at it. So it sounds like we're wrapping up. So if I may do a quick recap, Mink Massacre, wearing a mask and staying away from people is working. Temperature checks aren't the only solution and zoo bats are not spreading the disease. (laughs) What a great summary, Cameron. All right. So I guess if I need to know where all these fake journals are or wanted to look up any of the information in this podcast and hopefully we included a link to a mill tank, where would I look? (laughs) You would look in the show notes where all my sources are. And as always, big shout out to Scott for being an amazing dude who makes us sound great and helps us edit our stuff. His stuff is also in the show notes. And a thank you to everyone who's been liking, sharing, subscribing. And if you have those crazy articles or whatever that you're not sure about and sending them to us, thanks for getting in touch. Thanks for letting us know. Where where are we? You can find us on social media at Sample Size Show. And you can probably find ways to get in touch with us right in those show notes, I'd probably guess. Yes. Yeah. There are links there. Since the holidays are approaching, we probably won't have another episode for two weeks. So stay tuned. And as my favorite podcast dude, Stephen Dubner says... Take care of yourself, and if you can, someone else. Aw, that's so nice. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye. Bye.